Sport Tracks on SFM with John Gerica, Saturdays, 7 p.m. till 10 p.m. Earlier on today, I got to speak to Dr. Ross Tucker, sports doctor extraordinaire. He's been around everywhere. He knows just about everything there is about sports. I asked him uh, a variety of topics, starting with the lockdown. In fact, we'll get to that in a second. Sport Tracks on SFM. Saturdays, 7 p.m. till 10 p.m. Lockdown. Um, obviously, this is a sports show. We're supposed to talk about sports people, but I want to talk about man in general. Is exercise, obviously exercise is important, but it's more important now, would you say? Yes, I think so. Um, because when you have taken away so much of what people normally do in their routines, then I think exercise becomes one of the most effective ways to replace that. And that's aside from just thinking about the health benefits, both mental and physical. You know, you don't have to look very hard to find studies that show that exercise pretty much prevents and helps every single disease we can possibly get, you know, from depression all the way up to cancer, plus obviously cardiovascular conditions and so on. So, so the, the consequence of taking away movement, freedom of movement, is that people who relied on activity, general life activity, to, to stay reasonably healthy no longer have it, you know. So, so it becomes disproportionately important, in my opinion, that we allow people to exercise and not demonize them when they do. Mm. When you say exercise like normal life, you mean just getting out of the car and walking to the office or going up the stairs, I guess, or just walking while you're shopping? For so many people, the only physical activity they get is activities of daily life, Um, whether that's walking across a parking lot, as you say, Mm. or walking around the office building where they worked in order to talk to colleagues and so on. So, the removal of that has pretty dire health consequences, and especially actually for older people, because you know they may not be doing structured training like many other younger folk do, uh, and older folk. And for them, you know, walking the dog or doing something, shopping once or twice a week is activity. So the the health consequences, the negative health consequences, are, are pretty substantial. So I would highly encourage people to to make an effort to get out and exercise now that we can, but obviously do that sensibly. We have seen sports people sending out videos. Uh, there's been quite a lot of it actually of of how they are training. Can we copy what they do, or is or is that higher grade stuff? No, I don't think it's necessarily higher grade, but so much of that depends on what sort of a base you are working from prior to lockdown. So obviously an elite athlete is doing 10 hours or more per week of training. And for them to do five or six hours a week of the sort of stuff you're alluding to is not that big a deal. In fact, they're probably training less than normal. Whereas a lot of people will look at that and say, I'm going to imitate that. And they've got no previous conditioning. They're not accustomed to the type of exercise they're now doing. And all of a sudden, they'll get injured. I know of a handful of people who are quite fit athletes. You know, they're, they're regular runners. They run marathons. And all of a sudden, now they're doing sprints and jumps and shuttles up and down the driveway. And within two weeks, they're injured. So you have to always assess what you're going to do as a function of what you used to do. And don't change things drastically because that's when it becomes potentially risky. 
the the lockdown was opened yesterday, and we were talking just before we started about suddenly everybody's was out on the promenade in Cape Town. Durban had the same thing. Uh, my little neighbourhood suddenly has a whole lot of runners. It, it, obviously, you don't want them to be too close, and you promoting exercise. But uh, will how long will that last? Is that just like the second of January? It may well be. Uh, it depends a little bit, I think, on other elements of lockdown because that three-hour window that we've now been allowed to go out in is for many people, well, for everyone really, other than, other than essential workers mm. and people who are allowed to work, the only time they can get out. So I suspect it will continue as long as that situation remains. Right. And I think that that's great. I, I, I highly encourage people. You know, the, the individual benefits are huge, but so are the public health benefits of exercise. Even even your risk of getting an infection is lower when you are fit and active. So yeah. even in this time of immune anxiety, uh, exercise has benefits. So I hope that it continues, but obviously people need to be sensible. And that means every single one listening to this has to take responsibility. You know, we've all become experts in, in <laughs> immune hygiene. Like we, And I don't need to tell you this. You know, don't sneeze or cough. Cough into your elbow. Keep two meters minimum distance. Mm. That go alone, not in groups. Avoid physical contact. You all know this, so let's let's try and do that as much as possible. And 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 then exercise is by far the greater good here. Uh, obviously, that's 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 what you do. Get rather and what you suggest. Rather instead of sitting at home. Take advantage of the three hours. You finally have three hours when you've got nothing else to do. You're stuck at home. Why not go for a for a quick walk? Exactly. And if you're lucky enough to be in a place where it's scenic and nice to be outdoors, and, and I realize that that is a luxury many mm. people do not have, then then there's so many benefits. I mean, the physical benefit, but just also the the escapism of it, the mental health benefits of, and the the spiritual for many people. Whatever it, whatever right. it gives to you that's positive take it because you know for the other 21 hours a day you you may not have that access and so for sure people must do it but do it sensibly so that it doesn't become the problem mm. let's talk about sports people now uh, i imagine a lot of a sportsmen's job every single day is to remain fit so that's cardiovascular exercise can they yeah. be doing that at home is a treadmill and a bicycle good enough for a footballer or a rugby player for those sports, it's very difficult because they obviously can't train with a team. Yes. And so all the technical and tactical type work and so on that they're doing is, is deteriorating in this time. They can maintain a base level of fitness and strength and power, all the things you, you need as a rugby player and a footballer. So there are some studies that show that if you stop completely, you lose, say, 10% a month sure. of your strength, of your cardiovascular fitness. But if you even do half of normal, then you can defend that loss to the extent that it's almost non-existent. It's not quite that, that helpful, but it, it helps a great deal. Mm. So every little bit that they do goes a long way. But, of course, sports like football and uh, rugby, they are being denied access to play and to technical practice. And that will have a big, big effect on them. What about the psychology? Like you say, it is a team sport and and having a teammate get you up every single day and, and to keep you training, I imagine that's extremely important in team sports. Massively, massively, because um, aside from the fact that without the team, there's no play. So how do you work on technical execution, mm. <laughs> you know, kick a ball against a wall? I mean, it's yeah, not nearly not the, the same, same thing. thing. 
So, so of course, that's massively important. And the, people play these sports because they're social and, they, and they're competitive with one another within those team environments. And taking that away is huge. So it's, a, it's an extremely difficult time. And the other reason, by the way, that it's so difficult is because there's uncertainty over when it ends. And one of the one of the great enemies of sports science and medicine and performance and all these things is uncertainty. Because how do you plan for something when you can't pin it down? Mm. And I was talking actually with one of South Africa's Olympic sports coaches, and they're lucky because they can actually keep training indoors. You know, it's the South African rowing guys. Right. And he said that one of the big challenges for them is that yeah, they can keep doing their six seven hours a week on the ergo, and they can maintain a level of fitness, but they don't have a purpose anymore because they don't know when the next event is. And that becomes really difficult psychologically to manage. Mm. I imagine an Olympic athlete, and I'm glad you brought it up, they plan almost to the hour of their event. And like you say, if, if you know, now the Olympics has been postponed, we don't even know if those are going to be happening. So like you say, there, there's no targets. So what is an athlete doing then? Are they just as treading water? Yeah, unfortunately, you know, like you can imagine, 1st of January, you alluded to New Year's resolutions earlier. Uh, 1st of January, you know that on the, I don't know, 2nd of August at 1 p.m., you are in the Olympic final, at yeah. least you hope you are. <laughs> well, at least in the heat. Yeah, at least in the heat. But you're, that's your life's ambition, you know, that potentially this is your peak Olympic Games. Mm. And now, now it's been rubbed out of the calendar. It's been penciled in in the future. And you don't know if that will be rubbed out again. And if it is, then it's potentially a four-year wait. Sure. So it's a, it's a massively anxious moment for all those athletes. So how do they keep going? They have to just within their squad and within their training group motivate one another to maintain a level of fitness. It must be very difficult to, um, first of all, absorb the loss of your purpose and then reset that purpose when you don't actually see it. Um, so that, that'd be heavily, heavily reliant on one another to key off and to talk to one another and say, listen, let's just get to July mm. and then we'll have a clearer picture. But for now it's maintenance. That's all it can be. Sure. NTT, the South African cycling team, the old Quebec team, they released a video recently about how they're in communication all the time. They're using the Swift bikes, which is a great technology for cyclists. They're mm. talking to each other all the time. It's, it's what you're alluding to, right? Stay in contact, keep pushing yourselves within a small community. Exactly that. Yeah. You have to constantly, have something to compare, some target to work against. So if you're in a team environment like that, like the South African rowing, you know, for runners, it's also they do train in squads. And so that, that possibility does exist. Mm. And the social element in a sport and sports performance becomes more important. So it is possible, just very difficult. And I think some people will come out of this as winners and others not. And, and I think one of the big differences will be how quickly does a person accept the new normal mm. and then how well can they get on with uh, focusing and finding what's basically an intrinsic motivation because their their season is effectively over. So the only reason to suffer on the bike for two to five hours a day is is intrinsic. You know? so it's, a, it's going to filter out people whose motivations are strong mm. from those who maybe don't have that, that level of motivation. Okay, you brought up the new normal. Let's talk sport in general. Will it return to what it was this time last year? I think eventually it will, yes. I think, um, you know, as a scientist, I look at this every day and I, 
it's just astonishing how fast knowledge is evolving on this disease. I've never, I don't think in all of human history, there has been as much growth in knowledge as quickly as we've seen in the last four to six months. I mean, there are now approaching, I would imagine, 10,000 research papers on this disease. Wow. And uh, it's, it's honestly, it's unprecedented. The problem is that a lot of it's bad. <laughs> and it's going to take, and it's going to take some time to filter out the good from the bad. But I'm optimistic that, that the collective minds of all these bright people who are looking into it, whether it's treatment or vaccines or prevention, is eventually going to get us to a point where we can regather in large crowds, we can return to sport. Already in Europe, you're seeing plans have been put in place. I've seen documents from Switzerland, from Germany, from Italy, from Ireland on their five or six step approach towards returning to sport. I think it'll take a while yet before we are at the same level of, uh, you know, 60,000 people watching a football match. And I think that probably depends on a, either a vaccine or natural immunity, and that could take considerable time. Mm. But I hope that we get back to at least some sort of smaller scale back sport where technology and science and medicine allows us to get something back. But eventually, yes, I'm, I'm optimistic. This is not the end of the world as we know it. It's just a, it's just a hibernation, and we'll get there. South Africans love their mass participation sports. We've got the Comrades, we've got the Cycle Tour, we've got the 947 Challenge as well. Mm-hmm. Are those possible next year or is that a, a year or two away? It all, again, depends on the development of those vaccines mm-hmm. and exactly where this viral um, transmission peaks. Every day, it seems like there's new data. You know, one of the when when the epidemiologists sat down and developed the models, they, they've got to assume a couple of things. Number one is how contagious is it? How likely is it to be spread? And then number two is how lethal is it? How dangerous? Mm. And those numbers seem to constantly be challenged or changed by new findings. And so I think by, let's say, the end of August, we'll have a much better picture from around the world of exactly what's being dealt with. And then I'd be able to give you a better answer to that. But for now, based on what we know now, Unless there's a vaccine, I can't see that it would be in anyone's interest to bring a thousand people together, never mind 20, 30,000. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're chatting to Dr. Ross Tucker. Doctor, I just want to come back to uh, what you were saying about uh, training and, and uh, professionals, especially. We're talking about how they're struggling to do the technical aspects of it. There, there's so many technical sports. I'm just thinking of a, a pole vaulter or a high jumper. How long does it take from, let's say it all opens up tomorrow, how long will it take for them to be able to get that technical expertise back? Or is that just intrinsic because they're a pro at what they do? Well, yeah, I think a lot of them, you know, at that level, uh, it's become so ingrained in you that it's it's like the old cliche of riding a bike. Right. But of course, they'll be, they'll be, for want of a very uh, non-scientific term, rusty. <laughs> and it'll take a while. Speaking of pole vaults, actually, a couple of the world's best pole vaulters, I think three or four of them are organizing a virtual uh, sort of Zoom competition where they're all competing in their own facilities or back gardens oh, against wow. one another in four different parts in the world. So, so they can still do their training and execution. You know, like an individual sport is one where you can actually um, keep going on the technical elements even in a lockdown state. So it'll take a while. You know, and the other interesting thing is back in, I forget the year, but there was a major strike in professional sports in the USA. And so they went into a sports lockdown where they were locked out for the baseball baseball team. Yeah. 
It was, I think it was basketball okay. or American football. It was one of those two. Sorry, I've forgotten sure. it now. But what the interesting thing was that in the first few weeks when they came back, there was a significant increase in Achilles tendon and calf muscle injuries. Mm. And that's an indication that the, the players, for all their good intentions, will struggle to maintain a level of conditioning that allows them to go straight into games. They're basically in an off-season now. And just like you would normally have to gradually ease your way back, they would have to do that too. So that applies to technical skill and it applies to physical capacity. So it, it would take a while. I mean, imagine overnight is a cure. Um, it would probably be a couple of weeks yet before you can start playing super rugby full or intensity, football yeah. and so on at full intensity, yeah. Uh, 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 sub, and maybe you could talk about the psychology of it. One of the footballers saying yesterday, the players are actually scared of coming back, even if they were asked to come back. Again, the, the psychology behind knowing that there's a deadly virus out there? Yeah, for sure. There's, and, and that's going to be one of society's big challenges now next is the stigma, you know. And we went through that in South Africa particularly. You now you look at HIV AIDS and the stigmas. People didn't want to share change rooms and so on with people. And, and that that's similar to this, except in this instance, it, it really is contagious. Uh, from contact, <laughs> yes. so people will need people will need reassurances in that regard. One of the big, incidentally, challenges for team sports getting back is an insurance one. What happens if a player picks up the virus playing in a match in the Italian Serie A or La Liga or England, and then transmits that to elderly family members, and the sure. worst event possibly happens is <laughs> who's who's liable? Sure. So. So the players will need assurances on that, you know, that, and that's where testing becomes vital. You would have to have full confidence in tests. You'd have to test those players and support staff regularly, and they'd have to be negative, and then you can proceed with mm. a degree of confidence. But if you're going in there uncertainly, then I would share those concerns among those players. You know, why why take that risk? There are reports that that Liverpool away match just before the the, the incidents became really really bad, the the away fans brought the virus to England or from Italy to England, and that's just an example of what you're talking about, right? Yeah, and there was another one. It was a Champions League match also between Valencia and Atalanta. That I see they've they've labelled it Game Zero for sure. the outbreak that happened then in Spain. So. Those those big gatherings where you have so many people in a relatively small place, they're, they're what you might call choke points. And viruses love choke points because it means you know, 100 people are converging on one place in 10 minutes. And this you you couldn't design a faster way to propagate a virus. <laughs> I reckon, a sporting event. And that's the problem for sport now is that it's going to be one of the last things to come back because sure. it's such a high risk of transmission. All right, Doc, let's finish off on a positive note. Somebody sitting at home now, they're thinking about starting some sort of exercise routine. What should they do? They should take advantage of the three-hour window that they've got. They should get outdoors. And they should probably walk initially if they're, again, so much depends on their age, their level of fitness and any health conditions. I know I sound like a, a sort of legal doctor here, but, but I would get out there and I would set my target at saying 30 minutes walk and I'm uh -huh. going to go out there and I'm just going to enjoy being outside with a bit of space and freedom, which so, means keep so, away from other people. So you're not, then, you're not training, you're just going for a walk. You, that's what you're doing. And you're going to, you're going to test yourself and you're going to test your physical limits you're going to walk as fast as you can before it becomes painful. One of the most important things, in my opinion, for people starting out is that you have to set goals that you will achieve. 
you've almost got to fix it so that you're going to win it, which, <laughs> which might seem like cheating. But the biggest barrier to successfully starting exercise is the, is the, the pain, like, to be, to be frank. And you know, that's the discomfort. It's, yeah. it's how difficult it can be and how easy it is to become demoralized and despondent. So the, the main thing to start with is do something you can do. So if you're going to run, don't set the target at running five kilometers because after two kilometers, you'll be, you'll be feeling like you're close to death. Mm. So, so rather run for 200 meters and conquer it. So in other words, set goals that you know that you will conquer and then that will drive you to set new goals and new goals and new goals. And by the time you set your sixth goal, you'd be happy achieving mm. what, exactly what you'd hoped to start mm. out on. So, so if that means walking for 30 minutes on day one, then so be it. If it means running for two minutes, walking for five, and repeating that for 45 minutes, then do that. But listen to your body and set the goal that you know you'll win and, and finish every exercise fe session feeling like a champion. And then at some point in the future, you can accept that there's discomfort and so on. But for the beginning stages, just enjoy it and beat it, you know? Dr. Ross Tucker, thank you very much. You're with SAFM and just about the end of the show, we'll take your messages, your WhatsApps, your voice notes and your SMSs about the one thing you miss about there being no sport. We'll take those soon.